Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Let's go here to 1 Thessalonians and see what it says. But I would not have you ignorant. Now let me say this again to you. Audience relevance is everything. He is talking to a first century church at Thessalonica. And if you read everything coming up to this... They are suffering the spoiling of their goods. Their loved ones are dying in the arenas. They are being martyred. They are being persecuted. The chapter following this, he writes to them a letter and said, Do not be troubled as if you have received a letter as if it were from us that the day of Christ was at hand. For that day will not come. There comes a fall away first, and the man of sin be revealed, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God. So he's telling that first century church at Thessalonica, I'm warning you about this, not living faith 2022 years from now this will be something relevant to you as a matter of fact i don't have time to develop this but the man of sin that sat in the temple of god was a man by the name of john levi of gershom who usurped the office of the priest because the priest was what with was withholding until he was taken out of the way but once the high priest was taken out of the way and there was an illegal priesthood there an abomination that made desolate when the man of sin sat in the temple of god showing himself that he was god it was near even at the door and that happened with a man by the name of John Levi of Gershon who literally set himself up in the high priest place and declared himself that he was God. It was also in fulfillment of when they shall say peace and safety, sudden destruction would come upon them like a woman in travail because the travail of that season was God was getting ready to birth something brand spanking new. And so what happens is what we do if we pull that text out of its context and we start talking about a man of sin sitting in the temple of God. Let me just say this to you. Let me, let me calm down. Because I'm talking 100 miles an hour. The whole red heifer thing is hung on whether or not there's a restored temple. When somebody said to me the other day, you know, the, the coming of Jesus has got to be within the next couple months. To which I reply, if I, uh, first of all, if it, to, to, in order to believe that, there has to come, before that can happen, the man of sin has to set in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And there is no temple in the Middle East. So at least it is not that imminent because even if I'm wrong, they have to rebuild a temple. Now, I know they're saying they're going to build it in the next couple of months. Some of them are saying we're going to offer red heifers. I think if God wasn't interested in that building to start out with and he allowed the Romans to destroy it. Why would you want to rebuild it and then offer the blood of a bull or a goat? It would do despite to the spirit of grace. It would insult the new covenant. It would be walking over the blood of Jesus and saying that the blood of the covenant is an unholy thing. If you get deceived by somebody wanting you to offer an animal sacrifice, you need to run for your life. There is only one name given under heaven whereby men must be saved that at the name of Jesus. That's not talking about this man of sin sitting in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. is not something in the future. It happened and it was relevant to these people in the first century because Paul was saying he wrote this to them in the 50s, several years before the great falling away when people were being persecuted. And so he's writing to them everything before Thessalonians 4 and everything following that has some relevance to the church at Thessalonica. We need to remember when we're reading these, he's not telling us what's going to happen in 2022. He's telling these churches stuff that's going to be relevant to them. He didn't write to seven churches in Asia thinking, hey, let me just write a church. Let me write them some letters. It will mean nothing to them, but somewhere in 2022. 
they're going to find this letter and they're going to figure it out and they're going to think that Apollyon is the Apollo space program and Scud missiles and we're going to preach everything from Godzilla monsters and bugs as big as Volkswagens. Instead of comparing the Scripture with the Scriptures and pulling them out of context, we're going to build a whole theology of fear on people because if you can keep them afraid, you can manipulate them. We keep people in church because we're afraid we're going to be left behind. Now, let me tell you, I think you ought to be in church, but not because you're afraid. I think we're in such a reformation, we're going to start to come to church because it gives us back our life. It becomes a place of community where this thing is lived out and fleshed out of where, come on, the gifts of the Spirit can move and people can get healed. Marriages can be delivered and set free where we can get our joy back, our peace back, get delivered from the bondages of all the stuff where we become relevant because, well, I'm coming not because I'm afraid. I'm not coming to church because I'm afraid I'm going to hell or I need a ticket to heaven. I'm coming because I believe this is where the life is at. It's out of the body of Christ and members in particular as every joint begins to supply and we start to function like the city of God that we are. Somebody said, I don't need church. Well, that a city is not one person. And we're a city set on a hill that can't be hid. We're the new Jerusalem. We're the bride, the Lamb's wife. We ought to be saying, let him that's thirsty come. Let me tell you something. I'm all over the place here. But I'm getting way ahead of myself. But it ends, the book of Revelation ends by saying that, that he said, and God will wipe all tears off of all faces. And then he says to them, let him come and drink of the water of life without cost. Let them come and drink it freely because what happens is that's not something you get when you die. It's something you get when you start drinking the right water. I'm about to run the aisles up in here. Hallelujah because I got a drinking problem this morning. I'm drinking from the well that never runs dry. Because Jesus told the woman at the well, your people say we need to worship here, and we need to say we need to worship there. But let me tell you, the hour's coming. And now is when real worship was when worship me in spirit and in truth. Uh, because if you're thirsty woman at the well, you've been drawn from Jacob's well. You've been drawn from every other source trying to satisfy the thirst of your soul. But there's only one thing that can satisfy the thirst of the human soul, and that's the water that flows, come on, out of the, th- out of the smitten rock, which is Christ. It flows from a lamb in the middle of a throne. It flows from the kingdom of God and everybody that drinks this water wherever this river flows it will live the mission of new creation is out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water hey hallelujah hallelujah we ate our way into this problem we drank our way into this problem we could eat and drink our way out of it that's why the kingdom is full of eating and drinking yeah, I did. It started with an eating disorder in Eden's Misty Garden when God said, don't eat that. They ate it, got in trouble. Hundreds of years later, they're in Egypt. God said, I'm going to deliver them. Moses said, give me the strategy. He said, tell them, let's eat. Let's eat more lamb. Let's drink water from the smitten rock. 
Let's eat the bread that falls from heaven, the manna. Let's feed and eat and drink. I don't know about you, but come on. I think when you truly taste of the water of life, what happens is Jesus said you will never thirst again. That doesn't mean you don't thirst for the things of God. That means you're going to lose your appetite for what flowed out of Jacob's empty well of empty self-help and achievements. Because what happens is when it's all based on me and what I've done rather than on what he's done, and I don't draw from that resource, I've got weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth and there are tears. But God said, I'm going to wipe all tears off of all faces and that's not some glad morning that's beginning to happen in my life right now and that's an ongoing project and that's the project of new creation is out of your belly temple of God I saw a river a pure river clear as a crystal it was flowing from the throne and from a slain lamb it's flowing from the finished work I think we're just starting to preach the gospel I really think we're just starting to really preach the gospel Good stuff. Okay, let's talk some more about resurrection. First Thessalonians 4, let's go for the juggler. But I would not have you ignorant, brethren. Now, he's talking to a first century church who are losing loved ones, who are dying. They're dying in arenas. They're martyrs. And up until Jesus comes on the scene, no man has ascended up to heaven but he that came down from heaven. The way into the most holy place was not yet made while the first temple still stood. That's why the temple has got to be destroyed. It's because the covenant of death is still in effect. Because that's, that's why it's called the law of sin and death. Because the end of the, the law is not life. The end of the law is death. That's why Jesus had to come and die. And he didn't die so you could live. He came to die to give you a death. He got up from the dead to give you a resurrection. So he's saying to them in this first century, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep that you saw or not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe Jesus died, rose again, even so them that sleep in Jesus, God will bring with him. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, or literally by the Lord's own words, that we which are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. Now, how many know Jesus told them, there are some of you standing here that won't taste death till you see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So he's quoting Jesus saying, we're saying this to you by the word, the Lord's own words. He also said in Matthew 24, all of this will happen in the, before this generation passes away. And so he's putting context here again saying, if we believe that Jesus died, rose again, even so that the sleep of Jesus, God will bring with him. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain. Notice the personal pronouns. We, us, we, Thessalonians, who are alive and remain. I gave you all those time texts in the first session showing you Jesus said he would return before that generation would pass away. Y'all getting quiet on me now. And he's reminding them, these are the Lord's own words. For if we believe that Jesus died rose in them which also sleep in Jesus, God will bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain, we who are alive and remain, under the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the chief angel. Remember how I tied the archangel Michael to Daniel 12? Tied it to Revelation 11. Michael is the one sounding which trumpet? Last trumpet. 
Here we have the archangel shouting the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now, I'm going to deal with also 1 Corinthians 15 in a moment with this, but, but let, me, let, me just, let me grab this for you. When I started to look at the scripture, I started to see that this scripture is not talking about a rapture. Because the word rapture is not mentioned here. It's talking about a resurrection. I think that I have made a pretty strong argument that according to Daniel, according to Revelation 11, it strongly suggests that some kind of a resurrection was going to take place within the scope of that time period, including the fact that it's the archangel that's making these announcements. And what I began to see was what we don't, in, let me just talk to you a little bit. You ever been to a funeral? And you, go, and you go to the funeral and they're like, mom went home to be with the Lord. And I'm like, I'm good with that. That helps me. See, Paul's giving this to comfort one another. Mom went home to be with the Lord. And so I'm thinking, okay, thank God mom's not suffering anymore. And then a few minutes later he said, but you know, in that great getting up moment, mom is going to go be with the Lord. And I'm like, well, you told me a couple of minutes ago, mom went with the Lord a while ago. And then we get out to the grave, and it's ashes to ashes, dust to dust. And I'm like, what have you done with my mother? Where is my mom? And then we quote old covenant scriptures and new covenant scriptures, and we get confused. The dead know nothing, and they slept with their fathers. Because here's what we forget to look at. Under the old covenant, when you died, you slept with your fathers. They slept. They were waiting on a resurrection because the resurrection of Christ had not yet taken place. But watch this. In Matthew 27, I think you've got that scripture. I think I may have given it to you. Was it Matthew 27? When Jesus, let me see if I got it here somewhere. Did I give you the scripture in Matthew 27? Yep. Jesus, when he had cried again, with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. Next verse. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. What? What? And the graves were open. You can't say it any clearer than this. And many bodies of the saints which slept arose. Daniel 12 fulfilled. This will be Christ, the first fruits. This is the fulfillment of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I don't know whether to read all this in 1 Corinthians 15 or not. Let me, let me come back here. Let, let me just say it and then we'll come back and look at the scriptures. He says, we are in jeopardy, he said, because, but we believe in the resurrection. If Christ is not raised and the dead are not raised, then our faith is in vain. But he goes on to say here in 1 Corinthians that he says, I want you to see that there is an order. But every man will come forth in his own order, literally his own rank. And then he says, Christ and the firstfruits. Afterward, they that are Christ at his coming, Greek word parousia, his coming that we're talking about in the clouds of A.D. 70. But see, Matthew 27 is 30 year, or, or about 
probably 40 years prior to A.D. 70. So what this first resurrection is, now I don't know about you, but if I was a believer, if I'm not a believer, if I was an unbeliever, and the veil of the temple is written from top to bottom, and dead folks start showing up on the streets of Jerusalem, I'm a believer now. I mean, people came out of the graves in fulfillment of the prophecy that Christ and then the first fruits, because the first fruit, and then Paul uses the harvest paradigm all the way through this, sown in weakness, raised in power. But the feast of first fruits was when the first blade would start up out of the ground and they would take a sheath of corn and they would walk up and down the streets and wave it as a wave of first fruit offering, saying, the simple fact that I'm waving this first fruit is an indicator that there's a harvest coming. So when Christ got up and the first fruits, that was the beginning of the resurrection was now started and underway. Now for the next 30 years, the first fruits are all, the next 40 years, the first fruits are all that is raised because I've been challenged by people saying, but Paul corrected Hymenius and Philetes who came to him and said, you are in error because you say the resurrection is already past. And I've had them bring that up. I promise you I've been challenged by a lot of stuff. And I, to which I reply, if you're going to quote that, you've got to date it. Because that was prior to the 70 A.D. parousia, where the last trumpet or the coming of the Lord would come in 70 A.D. when the trumpet sounded that you see in Revelation chapter 11. That's when the dead were raised and people came out of the graves and they were seen. I mean, first of all, they're seen in the city, but now there's a general resurrection. So in between that time, the resurrection, the general resurrection had not occurred. It was only Christ and the wave of sheath, the first fruit. Those who had slept in the graves came out of the graves and now they are waiting on this resurrection to occur because we are in the final days of the last days of the scope of these prophecies. Are you tracking with me? And we are waiting on the last trumpet. The last trumpet sounds in Revelation chapter number 11 when the temple, right after the temple is destroyed and the Romans siege the city for 42 months and there's a resurrection. And all of a sudden people start coming out of the graves and, and God, there was a resurrection. Now let me, let me just say this to you. This is to me, this is very personal to me. Because what, what, what Paul is saying here is, after this resurrection occurs, after the dead are raised, we're not going to sleep. Here's the thing he's trying to, I want to show you a mystery. We're not all going to sleep. Because under the old covenant, they slept with the fathers. But for believers from this time on, the moment you take your last breath, you don't sleep. The corruptible puts on the incorruption. The mortal puts on immortality. Come on, somebody. What was sown is sown in weakness. It's raised in power. The moment you take your... Barry Lubby is not waiting on some great getting up moment. He's in the amphitheater tonight cheering us on to the finish line. And let me just tell you something. And I know many of this, is going to, this, this will resonate with many of you. And I'm almost hesitant to talk about this. But if you've ever been with any, and if you've been in ministry any length of time, and you've ever been with anybody that's dying, or you've ever been with a loved one that's dying, I get tore up thinking about this. My mother passed away in August of 2020. 
And when she, the last couple of days she was alive, she started talking to people on the other side. If you've ever been with people who are dying, they start seeing the other side. And when they start, let me just tell you something. When your loved ones start to talk to people the other side, they're going to decide if they're going to stay or if they're going to go. My mother said, your daddy's here and he wants me to go with him. And Grandma Barker's with him. He wants me to go with him and climb up on a rock. I said, she didn't get confused. She knew exactly who she was talking about. I said, Mom, do you want to go with him? She said, I'm thinking about it. I said, well, it's your decision. If you're in a lot of pain and you want to go and Dad wants you to go with him and climb up on a rock, I know who the rock is. She said, well, I want to wait a day or so because Amber is having her baby and I want to see her baby before I go. I get tore up, man. I'm sorry if I get too tore up here. She said, I want to see Amber's baby. And she said, your daddy's here. He wants to see her too. Wants to see him too. And when Amber had her baby, they FaceTimed my mom because COVID was rampant. And they FaceTimed my mom and they held the baby up and mom was looking at the baby and she was talking to Amber. And she says, now hold it up there to the side because your daddy is standing behind me and he wants to see the baby. Now, I can't see him, but mom can see him. One of the little girls that's two years old who've never seen my daddy come running out of my mom's bedroom and she said, Mommy, Mommy, you've got to come back here. Pappy? She said, there's a man back there. She started describing this man talking to my mom. And she described my dad from the top of his head to the soles of his feet. They are not asleep. In the resurrection, they are as the angels of God. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth into the earth to minister for those who shall be the heirs of salvation? Now, I am not suggesting that we go try to conjure up or call up the dead. But the Bible is full of visitations because Moses and Elijah appeared to Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. The angel that showed John the revelation said, do not worship me. I am one of your fellow brethren that keep the testimony of this book. And you can call me mad if you want to. But my daddy, before he passed away, when I would walk on his platform, he would hand me a microphone and he would say, preach good boy. And if he was in the congregation right now, he'd be shouting while I'm preaching because he'd shout me down, help me preach a little bit. And he would always say to me, preach good, son, or preach good, boy. I was in Malaysia a few years after my dad had passed. And it was probably one of the highest impact meetings I've ever had outside this country. I was in Malaysia. It was an, uh, a conference that was uh, in an all-inclusive resort. It was 220 rooms, fully double-booked. I'm the only speaker. There are leaders here from Asia, China, Indonesia, Singapore, uh, 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 you know, Philippines, all over Asia. I'm the only speaker in this conference, and when I started to take the platform, you could, you could call me crazy. I don't really care what you think. When I got ready to take the platform, I heard my dad audibly say to me, not in my mind, I heard my dad audibly say to me, preach good, boy. He was cheering me on. Now, I don't know if that gives you any peace or not. And somebody, So I came back home. Let me just tell you, I came back home concerned because I'd had that experience. And I went to several pastor friends of mine because I knew Paul said that we don't need to intrude into those things and talk to the dead. So that was on my mind. So I went to several pastors. I said, listen, man, 
Y'all, maybe I'm losing my mind, but I heard my daddy talk to me, and this pastor looked at me, and he said, I said, and Paul said we shouldn't talk to the dead, and this pastor looked at me, he said that would be true if they were dead. That's what he's trying to say to these people in Thessalonica that's going to give them peace is, I don't want you to be ignorant because so you don't sorrow as others. Because we're not all going to sleep. We're going to be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. And what happened for all of us in that last trumpet was that from then on, there's not been a believer died in 2,000 years. If that is not true, then Jesus, what he said to, to, at Lazarus' tomb, the hour is coming and it now is. When they that hear the voice of the Son of Man will live, and all they that hear will live. But he that lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Can I tell you that's the kind of never die that I believe? Come on. Is that we do not die. We've already got our resurrection life. Are you hearing what I'm saying? In other words, come on, somebody. Born twice, die once. Hallelujah. Born once, die twice. But I'd rather live and believe in him and know that the moment in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he talks about that and he says that every man will come forth in his own order, Christ the first words, afterward those that are Christ at his coming, and then, in, then, then, uh, then cometh the end. And he talks about that, that uh, he will have delivered up the kingdom to God, that God will be all in all. What he's talking about there is the same thing he was talking about in Daniel where he delivered the theocratic kingdom of Israel back to God and God was not only the king of Israel, but now he's both king of Jew and Gentile. He was God all in all. Somebody said, well, I was kind of hoping for immortality. I'm not even saying that's not available because I think that there are one coming, many appearings. In other words, Jesus came just like he said he would. He came in the clouds and he came, come on, and a resurrection took place. And literally, let let me me, me read you this. Let me read you this. This is three, three different historic documentations of a literal, physical appearing of the Lord. And, and it, it's, this, these, these are all documented by, uh, this, this first one is from Josephus, the War of the Jews. I have the volumes of where it's written at, but it says, not many days after the Feast of Passover week, somewhere from April 10th through the 17th of 66 A.D. and on, on the, first, on the 21st day of the month, Artemis, May 16th, of 66, a certain prodigious and incredible phenomenon appeared, related by those that saw it. For before the setting, before the sun setting, chariots and troops of soldiers in their armor were seen running about in the clouds and surrounding the cities. In the final days of the siege of Jerusalem, there was physically and literally seen above the temple in the clouds, the armies of heaven had followed him on white horses and voices from under the altar were crying, we are departing hence. The resurrection of those who were crying, how long do you avenge us, was now over and the days of vengeance were fully executed, and the dead were raised, and they, 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 we are departing hence. A voice from under the altar cry. They were the souls under the altar who were saying, in chapter 10 of Revelation, how long? He said, until the seventh trumpet sounds. And the seventh trumpet sounded. Am I making sense? Here's the second, here's the second that, that's historically documented by the, some of the most respected theologians. Here's the second one. 
a certain figure appeared of tremendous size, which many saw. And before the setting of the sun, there were suddenly seen in the clouds chariots and armed battle arrays by which the cities of all Judea and its territories were invaded. That was by a guy named Pseudo Hegesippus. I am excited to announce the release of my latest book titled The Great I Am. In this book, we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. When he uses that phrase, it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. For instance, they thought Moses and the law was the door into the sheepfold, but Jesus said to them, I am the door. They thought that Israel was the true vine, but Jesus said to them, I am the vine, you are the branches. As you read the pages of this book, you will discover that Jesus removed the covenant of death and replaced it with the covenant of life. Get your copy of the book, The Great I Am, today.